Welcome to the Every Thought Matters podcast. My name is Kelly Raymer, and I am the producer and host of this podcast. I'm also a mindset coach, Akashic Tarot reader, co-creator of the Every Thought Matters collective that is coming soon, and a multi-passionate entrepreneur. Search Every Thought Matters with your favorite browser, and you'll find my site, information, and how to reach me. Add for the podcast, each episode's a conversation exploring origin stories, life, the universe, and various other topics. Enjoy this episode, and remember, every thought matters. This episode of the Every Thought Matters podcast features Dallas Knight. Dallas wears many hats in her life now and has worn many other hats in her various careers. She's a female combat veteran, former intelligence analyst for the Las Vegas Police Department, also worked for HIDTA under the Drug Enforcement Administration, and volunteering for an exclusive group fighting human trafficking. All of that and being a single mother of two, author of the book Shattered Reflections, documenting her life as a combat veteran. As you can see, she's amazing. She, like all of us, is on a healing journey. She talks about that and many other things on my podcast. Give it a listen. And as always, remember, every thought matters. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Every Thought Matters podcast. I am very honored to have Dallas Knight on my podcast. Welcome, Dallas. Thank you, Kelly. I appreciate the invitation. Well, I appreciate you saying yes. And let me start off by saying I appreciate your service both domestically and abroad for the many different roles that you have played in your life in this short period of time. I really do appreciate it. It's, I'm very grateful for it. Thank you for your support. It means a lot. It really does. I, You taught me that on one of your lives and to really reframe that. And let's start there. You, you know, thank you for your service. And that's kind of an awkward thing. And you said, no, appreciate their service. It, the word appreciates more like a hug, which I kind of like. Yeah. So talk yeah. a little bit about that. Well, it's it's interesting because anytime someone tells me, thank you for your service, it's this obligatory response to say you're welcome, right? But it feels very uncomfortable to say you're welcome to that because I immediately go back. I, I relive six years that I was in the military in, you know, the flash of 0.5 seconds. And I don't know if I'm welcome of all that. Right. It's, it's interesting because I don't, it, so the dynamic of it is someone said, well, what if we said something along the lines of like, we appreciate your service. Then my response would be like, well, thank you. And then you can say you're welcome. I don't know. It just feels like yeah. a more fluid type of ingenuine gesture. I agree. And it has a different, and for me, being the author of Every Thought Matters, words have vibrations. And that vibrational energy really speaks to it, speaks to a hug. And let's kind of, a little bit of biography on you. You've been a combat veteran. You've served in narcotics units. And you served on a board of a tech company. You have done so much in so little time. You're this little dynamo. Um, <laughs> give my listeners a little bit of background of all of that rap. Because your bio is like reads of who's who. It's incredible. Yeah, it's it's um, interesting when someone asks me to send over my biography. By no means do I want to send over an essay. But as you've mentioned, there have been substantial chapters in my career and I'm proud of each and every one of them and the most the unique part about it is they've all been a stepping stone towards the next stepping stone and even though they don't necessarily all fit together like a puzzle piece they're definitely a foundation stacked on one another yeah that and now you're an author of a, a book and that's been out how long uh September 23rd was the launch date so oh my gosh today's the one <laughs> exactly the one, one month. month anniversary of it yeah i just looked at my watch to see what the date was 
Wow, yeah, one month today. Excellent. So, yes, we're recording this on the 23rd of October, one month. Congratulations. And you. you pushed out a lot of copies. A lot of people have bought them. You've gotten rave reviews. on. That's just incredible to be able to tell your story. How did that come about? Honestly, it was a selfish quest in my own healing journey. And I found myself very broken towards the end of 2021. And as I started peeling back layers of chapters in my life that needed to be addressed, to needed that needed healing, that needed to just be acknowledged, quite frankly, one of the ones was my military career. I joined three months prior to 9-11, so didn't really necessarily sign up for the mission that ended up taking place and went through training before I knew it. I was being deployed and came home and just kind of rushed right through it. And I never really processed it all. But during my deployment, I kept a journal that whole time. And throughout the last 20 years, that journal has just been sitting on my shelf collecting dust. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to start there. I'm going to essentially relive 2003 and acknowledge my feelings. And I even took it a level deeper and decided to allow myself to feel everything that I felt as I started to walk that journey again. It was very trying. It took me six months to get through 88 journal entries. But what I found towards the tail end of that journey is this understanding that I was definitely not the only person who was either stuck or had never started their journey. And I am a huge Brene Brown fan and she preaches that vulnerability is courage. And it just takes one act of courage for someone to be inspired by that act of courage for them to say, you know what, I can do that too. And so that was kind of my mission in taking the journal that I had now transcribed into a digital copy, reliving seven months worth of one of the most trying times in my life and putting it out there for others. But even through that, there were so many other amazing things that kind of came along with it, giving perspective of a viewpoint that is not often shared or heard about. And, and then having that trauma kind of transcribed to other traumas and other situations of overcoming and healing. Wow. And you're in a very unique perspective too, in that you're a female combat veteran. You're you were, you know, in some office job. You were actually a female combat veteran, and that's a very unique position. And yet, you describe it so well. Why did you just when you joined? Did you that what you wanted to do? Did you wanted to go to combat, or you just what led you to go? You know what? I want to go into service for my country. Yeah. So as it. I joined three months prior to 9-11. So right. I had no idea that I was going to be a part of a war-driven military. And when I, I was 17, actually, when I signed the papers, my mom had to sign over rights to the federal government. Um, the government was my parent for about three months. And so then 9-11 happened as I was waiting to go to training and everything shifted. But I think my original, my original plan, my original goal by joining the military was one, to get some values and perspective and foundation that I wasn't afforded growing up as a child. I was raised by a single mom. She wasn't really there most of the time. I was um, stuck at home with my sister, who's five years younger than me, not able to go to this social event or that because I had to play mom. And a lot of times I played the dad role as well and chores and, you know, all of the things. So I, I felt like there was this, I don't know, um, unspoken thing that the military might be able to give me. Now, with that said, I also come from a military family. So my grandfather survived and served during three wars. 
And my uncle is a Vietnam combat veteran. And most of my cousins are older than me. And the majority of them were either enlisted or getting ready to enlist in one branch or the other. So it wasn't a foreign thing being a part of the military, but none of those people that I mentioned were female. So it was a foreign thing for a a woman, a female to go into the military. Now, the recruiter had some sway on my job. They have, for those that don't know, recruiters are like used car salesmen. They have a quota and they have to Mm -hmm. meet certain numbers. And that also entails certain jobs that they need to fill. And military police was one of those jobs. But it kind of got my head turning because I had been contemplating a career with the Drug Enforcement Administration. But they have several requirements. You can't just say, I'm going to go in and train and, and what have you. You have to have a bachelor's degree. They don't even care what it's in, but you have to have one. And you have to have a, a few years worth of um, ex- real world experience. So I figured, okay, well, military police, military, I'll get my college paid for, and I'm going to get real world experience. And by the time I get out, you know, I can apply with the DEA and, and go that route. Um, then, as I mentioned, 9-11 happened, so things got flipped on their head a little bit. But that was kind of my initial motivation and goals when I went into the military. So, yeah, I was wondering about your family background and why you pursued this, because it's very unusual for a to be a female combat veteran. But yet here you are talking about it. And I'm still I love Brene Brown and I love the fact that you took eight months of courage to go through those 88 pages of your journal and processing all of that. That's a tremendous amount of courage. That's to me, walking a tightrope over the Grand Canyon, literally. That's how courageous that is to me. So, because you were processing, right. But you process it, you process everything. And being on the spiritual side of the world now, everybody talks about their darkness and healing it and all of that. You went through a lot of darkness to get those words out. And now you're on the other side being able to help other people. What's that like when people walk up to you and talk to you about after reading your book? It's very humbling. And it's also very gratifying simultaneously. Um, It still feels a little surreal that I'm a quote unquote author that I actually put my story out there. Um, And I was, I'll be honest with you. I was, I was so scared. I was so scared to put it out there. There's always the naysayers, right? There's always going to be someone who has something to say and they don't think about how their words affect you. Um, There's going to be people who just project negativity. And again, where Brene Brown comes into play, there's an episode on Netflix special, I believe, that she uh, discusses being in the arena and you're, you know, covered with blood, sweat and tears and you're in the arena and you're fighting and you have all this vulnerability and you're standing there basically feeling stark naked and there's all these people around you. Right. And some of them at the very top are throwing tomatoes at you and yelling at you and telling you what a piece of garbage you are. But she says, you have to remember, you're the one that's in the arena, not them. They're up there in the nosebleeds and they can say whatever they want, but they're saying it from a distance. You're the one that's in the arena. So look to the left and the right of you and look at the people who are in the arena with you. And that is who you lean on. And that is who you um, entrust for support in words of encouragement. So I wake up nearly every day kind of replaying that through my head. And so far, I've only had like one person come at me in a negative manner. And I just had to brush it off. But for the most part, it's been, you helped me through my healing journey. I've had several people that I deployed with that ordered and read the book. And honestly, I was a little scared that it would trigger them. Again, I took six months to get through it. And we have people now that are were there with me, had not processed their trauma, and they're reading my book in a matter of a day. And that's, it's a lot to unpack in a day. And I... I've had a few reach out and say, you know, I had to put it down. I completely understand. I had a few reach out and say, you helped me with some closure. You helped me kind of that final piece of healing that I needed. I've had ones reach out and just tell me how proud and courageous um, they thought I was. So 
it's been very rewarding, but it, I, it's not the last step. Like if there's, I just feel like it's just the beginning. It's just the foundation of being able to have this domino effect. And I'm already seeing it, um, of helping others heal, start to heal. I mean, the hardest part about healing is just starting, like starting that journey and also, um, bringing those that may be a little intimidated forward, giving them a safe and secure space to share their story. And then, so that was kind of the leeway into the podcast that I am doing and sharing other female combat veteran stories. And what's your podcast called? I didn't even know you had that. That's so cool. <laughs> um, It's called the Not So Average Jane. And it's only down. available on Patreon. And we actually, I just released um, the second episode this morning. That is so awesome. I'm, I, I don't have words for you. And that's <laughs> normally I, I can pretty much sum up anything really well, but I, I don't, but I love one question that came up is, how did you develop so much empathy for people when you work with the DEA, you've been a combat veteran, you've worked with police forces, and you've worked in a boardroom? How did, where does this empathy come from? Because that's got to be some sort of core truth with you. Because you ooze empathy. I think it comes from my childhood. I think it comes from my background, my upbringing. My, I I kind of live by this motto and try to preach it in that your past doesn't define you. And I, going back to when I enlisted in the military, what I didn't share is I felt like I was at this fork in the road because by the time I figured out that high school was an important milestone to project you into a more easy way to succeed, it was too late. So I did poorly in high school the first couple of years, blew it off. And by the time, you know, my senior year rolled around and I realized, okay, I need to get my act in order. Um, my GPA accumulatively had already been tarnished. So between that and having a vacant father and seeing abuse as early as age three in all aspects of it, and also being the victim of it, I still was able to arise to something. I'm still able to be what many would classify as successful. And I didn't want to sit up on a pedestal and say, look at me, look at all the amazing things that I've done without people knowing that I was not handed anything on a silver platter. I came from abuse and neglect. I had many challenges and roadblocks. I've made so many mistakes in my life, but I wouldn't change it for anything because it has molded me into the person that I am and been, made me very resourceful and allowed me to build rapport with so many diverse people based on their backgrounds and to help encourage them to press on, to lift their head up, to dream big, and to go after it. It's very interesting. There's so many notes on the The pedestal ones always works for me because I remember somebody telling me this many years ago, and it still rings true because never put people on a pedestal, give them farther to fall. And I always think about that a lot because I'm a huge sports fan, and we all put Tiger Woods on a huge pedestal, and obviously you saw he had a very far to fall, even though he's arguably the greatest golfer ever to golf. But the other thing I wanted to ask you and tell you, which I love because you've actually embodied this, is everything that happens to you happens for you. And you embody that very, very well. I, and that's a mindset trick is just to go, well, I keep thinking to myself, well, why am I here in this moment? Why did I put myself here? 
what is there for me to learn? And even when I'm not feeling the best and when I'm depressed or whatever, I go, why are you here? And you embody that so well. But I love the fact that you who have been through a lot of childhood trauma, as have I, uh, I don't do the comparison because, you know, trauma is not to be compared. No, it should not be compared. Mm-mm. No, I agree. And comparison is a thief of joy anyway, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. But I'm just ridiculously proud of you. And I, I barely know you. Mm-hmm. And I just think you're ama- an amazing human being to fun- jump back from that, all of that. Yet, I wanted to ask you, what does success mean to you? It's a really good question. Um Wow. I I keep envisioning like the next big thing for me. And then I ask myself, why? Why are you working 18 to 20 hour days between your, you know, day job and the book stuff and the podcast and raising two kids on your own and all of the things? And I just I want to leave my stamp on this world. And I want it to be oozing with positivity. I want my children to be able to say that they're proud. And when they get into predicaments, they kind of look to me in situations and experiences that I've been through to encourage them to push through it, to understand that again, their past doesn't define you and you can learn from the mistakes. Like there's a lesson in every single experience that we have, but it is up to you to actually embrace it. And I feel like the more lessons that are ignored, it's like life brings you back around and pushes repeat and offers you up the same opportunity. And I have found, at least in my life, when I embrace that lesson and really try to learn and grow from it, then it's it seems more resolved. And so I guess to go back to your question, which is probably one of the hardest ones I've been asked in a very long time, is success for me would be people turning to me to be inspired and embrace their vulnerability and courage to do the same in this domino effect. I just saw a vision of you meeting Brene Brown, just so you know. I will grab onto that and stick it in my pocket. Please do, because I just saw it. I just, and it's not that you need to meet her. She needs to meet you. Think about it that way. She's, uh, her words and studies have helped me through a lot. That vulnerability speech still, it, I watched that many years ago, good, probably good 10 years ago, because it's been out that long. And I still think about it a lot because I mm-hmm. struggle with vulnerability. I, Everybody avoided, does, I think. Avoid an attachment person. So I don't let people get close to me. So that vulnerability speech just really tracks with me very much. because I'm working on it. And my biggest thing is healing is not a destination. It's a journey. It's, you and I had a therapist tell me, and I've been through a lot of therapy, and this is the best thing I've ever heard of this. Kelly, you're not broken. You don't need to be fixed. You're okay. You're just, you have scars that are healing. That's all mm-hmm. they are. They're scars. They're healing. You did. I'm getting emotional by the 88 pages, and numbers are my thing. And 88 pages in eight months, there's some synchronicity into that. There's some angel numbers in there for you. I don't know if eight is your angel number, but it probably is. Because Hmm. that's just inspiring to me. That You went through a dark night of the... You had to relive the dark night of the soul again in order to publish a book to help people. That isn't vulnerability and courage. I don't know what is. I would, I would agree with you, especially with how Brittany looks at it, 100%. And it's, it, I talk about it in the book, too, on how through training and 
all I mean, just even even working in a male dominated field, how feelings and emotion are discouraged. And I've been told, you know, oh, Dallas, don't wear your heart on the sleeve. And oh, you're getting you need to grow thicker skin. And then there's like the classics of rub some dirt on it. Don't be a Sally, like all these things that are very discouraging in sharing emotion. And that's just like what I grew up in and what I was coached in, even as I started my career as a young woman. And it's, it's interesting to then flip that on its head and come to understand that the very definition of courage of being courageous is putting yourself in a vulnerable situation, whether that's physically, mentally, or emotionally. There is no courage without vulnerability. If you think about any courageous act that you admire, that you know of, there's vulnerability. in it. And if we can just kind of rewrite that narrative and just con- come to understand that, and it, it, you don't have to write a book about one of the most crazy eras in your life to do it, I mean, baby steps and as you kind of shared, it might just be letting someone in. And, you know, even though I put a piece of me out there to the world, I still am on this journey. I don't think it'll ever end. As you said, there's no destination and I'm still growing. And one of the most recent things that I've been working on is also letting people in and not just people, men. I've had a a really difficult time um, letting any type of man break past my barriers. It's just been burned a lot and it's, you know, stems and starts with my very own father. And um, through therapy, I had this like visualization of it's not even about having a wall up. I have a wall and then I have a bouncer. I have a bouncer that's big, burly (laughs) dude standing in front and like, you want to come knock at the door? Like you got to answer to my bouncer. Right. And so I have this visual now when I start to, um, see an opportunity to help myself grow. And I basically tell my bouncer, Hey, go take a five minute smoke break. And so it's five minutes. I'm giving myself just five minutes to put him on, you know, go take a smoke break, let my walls down a little bit. And then at the end of that five minutes, if I don't feel comfortable, then it's, I'm okay. Let put the wall back up, tell your bouncer to come back in. But that five minutes is going to get me 1% closer than just basically walling off the entire world in isolation. I laugh, but I love that analogy. I wrote down the exact time where, because that's just absolutely brilliant. And I don't know why, but I see you as a coach as well. I could see you coaching women through these challenges because I'm going to use the bouncer thing too, because I apparently I've got a, big old freaking bouncer around me as well it's just punched my yeah. and i don't even give him the five minutes i honest to god don't but well it's a it's a it's definitely a conscious decision and sure. and he's there to protect you i mean kelly at the end of the day that's all your brain is trying to do it's just trying to protect you based on your experiences and it's a really difficult pattern to break and rewire but that is essentially even just five minutes of allowing your bouncer to go on a smoke break and just be vulnerable just for that small bit of time is going to start to rewire that pattern and I couldn't have done any of this and this is not my original idea um without my therapist and going through and that's like another thing I denied myself for so long was the right type of therapy and I say that because I don't think there's a one size fits all. There are so many different aspects and I've seen psychologists and psychiatrists and everything in between. And it took a holistic therapist that does substantial energy work for me to start to actually feel and see results in my healing. And so I encourage anyone that maybe has felt like therapy has failed them to try something new, try something different. They have art therapy and equine therapy and service dogs that can contribute. Um, So yeah, try something different. I have a friend that was on my podcast 
last year and we've been friends ever since, but she's also an NLP practitioner. So I booked a session with her to do that, which helped. It's a different kind of therapy, but it, it was incredible because as a child of divorced parents, I don't even literally don't remember my parents being married, to be honest with you. I blocked it out. It, that, it was that traumatic for me. And she helped me walk through that. And one of my favorite things about life in the world, just my perspective, but everything that happens to you in, in the world happens between your ears. Everything. Every stinking thing. So I just thought, well, okay, if that's true, why can't I just go back and think, look at them when I was a child and create happy memories? Whether they existed or not is not the point. The point is I created them, and now now they exist. And now that gives me comfort, and now that gives me solace to know that I've got happy memories to look upon. You did that on your own? Yes. Because that's amazing. Um, I mean, that's part of some of the therapeutic modalities that I have practiced with, with Heather, and I'm, I have not been able to do that on my own. She helps me through that in a very deep subconscious state of mind, but that's all it is. It's, it's giving, it's giving your mind essentially what it needed at that time to domino affect that, um, that pattern, that, uh, neurologic pathway is what she refers to it. True. Cause it goes back to your subconscious mind and, uh, I had a guy on my podcast, Dr. Eddie Bellamoria, who has his four-part series called Unfolding Consciousness, and he talks about thoughts and stuff. And one of the things that he said, and I think this is really good for you and for me, but anybody you interact with, they are the actual product of probably thousands of people that they've interacted with. So in that moment, for me interacting with you on my podcast, I'm interacting with the version of you that interacts with all these other people, whether it's, you know, the issues with your parents or these amazing people that are reading your book or whoever it is, that person I see here on my screen is a product of all of those interactions. And yeah. so when you start seeing a person like that, oh, obviously I have empathy because I, I had to develop that because that was my reaction just response to my parents divorce but when i see people i try to envision that entire crowd behind them of these people that they interacted with and that gives them much more flavor it's like all these ingredients piled into one to whatever you're about to say right now dallas is mm -hmm. going to be that i never thought about it like that that's very interesting to take into consideration. I think the, my I think my conversations and and you know when you kind of sit back and people watch are going to be a little bit more dynamic now with that thought in mind. Well, I learned a long time ago that eighty percent of people's reactions to you are about themselves because, in my personal mm -hmm. opinion, we're you mirror back to me the courage that's inside me that I'm scared to actually embrace to be honest with you i'm i'm a comfort zone addict and i'm a people pleaser recovering people pleaser so but the beautiful thing is with this podcast i learn about people which in learning about you i learned about myself i learned that that courage to Brene Brown and that vulnerability is inside me and you're reflecting that to me that's how you when you go and you sign a book and somebody at the bookstore you're you're reflecting that back to that person in that yeah. autograph whether you did it on live which i remember or you're doing it in person you're reflecting our courage and vulnerability that we all have that's part of the reason and i'll get on a little pedestal but that's why we like celebrities because they had the courage to go after their dreams and we worship them we not you know in quotes but yeah. because we didn't do that. And that's why me, I'm in my sunset years, but I'm actually in the greatest years of my life, truthful with you. But why I don't look at people like that. I look at them as those 10,000 people behind them that they've interacted with, whether it's their high school graduating class or whatever. Right. 
And we live and we live in a world where there's a highlight reel, literally, right? Like right. every social media platform has this reel. And most people, I don't know, maybe 90, maybe more percent of people only share on the internet the good times, the accomplishments, the advancements, the smiles. And I think we sometimes get this unrealistic perspective of what someone successful looks like. They don't, we don't see their trials, their tribulations, their tears, their failures. And I, I'm drawn to anybody who's willing to kind of share that journey. I've tried to also be very transparent in my journey. And because again, I don't, I don't want anyone to think, oh, she just, you know, copied out of her journal from 20 years ago, put this book out. And now that's, it's, I mean, it's been, it's been hell. It's not been easy. But again, my message is the same. Like your past doesn't define you. You can make out of it whatever you choose, but it is your choice. You're, you're very blunt and I love it. I absolutely love it. I just make me smile inside, but you also, I love the fact that you're teaching me about courage and vulnerability. And I wrote that down and literally you're talking, I'm like, you said there's no courage without vulnerability. And I don't know if that's your quote, but I'm going to attribute it to you because I love that line because to get out of your comfort zone, you have to have courage and vulnerability. And I, like I said, I'm a comfort zone addict right now and I'm trying to get out. And I, I was journaling a lot this morning about that exact thing. This is going to help me. You think you being on my podcast and this is a platform for you to tell your story, but it's, the platform also for me to learn about myself. And that's Absolutely. so freaking great. I had a mentor tell me, even if you just do 1% every day, just 1% forward, at the end of the year, you're going to be 365%, which is a hell of a lot more than if you did nothing. So I I think that maybe you should embrace that. I try to embrace that every day. Okay. You know, there's mornings I wake up, I'm exhausted. I don't want to do anything. I do the bare minimum, but sometimes bare minimum is my 1%. And that's okay. We need to give ourselves a little grace every now and then. We need to give ourselves grace every day, person. That's like, true. That's a big <laughs> You You had and me rethinking my statement before you even said that, but yes. I know, it's all 100% good. 100% right. 100% right. Good. I know, and but... That's such a challenge. Like I haven't even talked about your police work, which I, I I don't define you by what you did, even though I think it's cool for me. I, as a kid, I, I grew up, I read spy novels up the wazoo. Like I can remember the first book I read, which is To Ride a Pale Horse by Helen McInnes. That got me into that genre. And then I started reading them all from that to Tom Clancy to you know, whatever. And I haven't even touched on you know, I had to look up this acronym. I'm like, what is H-I-D-T-A? And I'm like, oh my God. And then I looked it up like, wow. Oh, hi. Yeah. I like, well, yeah, in Vegas. Yeah. Hello. Hello, Captain Obvious. Right. <laughs> well, that, so the acronym, we, we pronounce it HIDA. Um, and it's in, there's a HIDA in just about every major metropolitan area. Yeah. It's not talked about a lot for obvious reasons. But for your listeners, HIDA stands for High Intensity Drug Trafficking Area. It's just a collaboration between local, state, and federal law enforcement focusing on a key initiative. And that initiative depends on what the problem is in that area. And it also fluctuates based on the year. So it's very current. So, for example, we have a fentanyl problem right now and have had. So they're, most of the Haidas are mostly are probably focused on fentanyl or they have a task force or initiative that's focused on fentanyl. So that's what, yeah. what, that's what that is. And is, uh, what's the word? We have an opioid ed- epidemic, right? And is fentanyl that? I don't know. No, no. Um, it's, it's not. And you'll have to excuse me. I've been out of the drug game for. It's okay. Don't worry. 10, 10 years now. So right. I, I'm, I'm not up to speed on exactly what is going on as much as I used to. When I was in, we had 
it was the the oxycodone um in the pills yeah. and that was the yeah. big thing and just before that it was mdma and then they changed it to molly and this and that and the other um sure but anyway yeah so i'm i lost my train of thought i apologize it's okay i only asked because i had a lady on my podcast in july who literally got in overhead with opiates and landed in the federal prison and she's well, out very, and she's clean addictive. and sober so they're very addictive anyone who thinks yeah. that they um can kind of beat the drug when the drug literally changes the chemical composition of your brain and how it functions yeah. i mean you're basically fighting a losing battle so sure i agree but at the same time i still <laughs> I still have it's I'm I'm giggling because of the word empathy and the the weight that you put on it earlier, but I still have empathy for those because I understand I may not have walked that path, but I still understand the need or the want to escape reality. And the majority of the time that people are using drugs and getting to a point where they're abusing them is because they're trying to escape their reality. They are most likely feeling like they're in this ring around the rosy, spinning in circles. Same thing keeps happening to them. They can't get out and they just want to break. And so sure. the, and then the drugs take them captive and yeah. it's not something easy to escape. Now, and my friend, I still friends with literally, you know, had did that somehow in and she talked about it on my podcast, like she was in a cell, she was in like a state facility, but then they needed different types of hospital care for her. So she had to go to the federal facility in Louisiana and she was in a cell with, you know, convicted murderers. Like, yeah. right. And she, she somehow found her faith in, in God and all of that and got out and it's clean and sober still, which is sometimes jail is the best thing for somebody. Well, that's a great podcast. And like, if you ever need guests or whatever on your podcast, Shad, I would recommend her because I think the two of you, woman to woman, would understand some of this stuff. Yeah. But uh, I just, you're an incredible person. Just what drives you every day to keep going? And is it the book? Is it your job? I, obviously, you're a single mother. So, your kids yeah, are your most important priority. Yeah. and Yeah, I mean, right out of the gate, I'd say my boys. My boys Aww. motivate me, inspire me every day. Um, yeah, I. but lately I've also been very much inspired by other female combat veterans. I want to help give them a voice. I want to help share their story. I, you know, stayed up until 11 o'clock last night editing the podcast that I released this morning just trying i want to do her justice i want to make sure that the story is conveyed in a way that's well reciprocated and understood so that she can heal a little deeper so that's kind of my current mission now um but yeah my my boys every single day i see them and i have a very um big gap between the two one's 18 and one is five so it's a different perspective in which they look at me. You know, I have my 18-year-old who understands my entire story, and I've been very transparent with him on my childhood and what I've been exposed to. And I think we've always had this very open communication, something that I didn't have when I was a kid. And I made sure, isn't it interesting when you're a parent, a lot of times you either parent on the side of doing what you thought your parents did well or completely avoiding and doing a 180 based on what you thought they did horribly. And that's kind of where I went with the communication thing. I didn't feel like my parents communicated with me at all. Um, so I probably went a little overboard with my boys. But anyhow, I um, they, my oldest is now, you know, trying to figure out what he wants to do with his life. And I've told him, like, you don't have to have it all figured out right now. And it's all about experience right now. You know, dabble in this, try that, intern here, go explore that there. And, you know, when you find 
a passion and you can happen to make money at it, then pursue that. And I think that's, that's what the, my career in law enforcement was for me. That truly is still where my passion lies. Um, in nearly 10 years, I never woke up and said, I don't really want to go to work today. Not one time. I could have been sick, blue, up all night with a sick kid, hungover. It didn't matter. I always woke up and wanted to go to work. And when I left and went into corporate America, I was very scared that I was going to lose that passion, that drive, that fire. And so I ended up finding other ways. And that's where my my volunteer work, if you will, um, ended up with volunteering with the NGO school games and where I helped to hunt down human traffickers and ID victims of human trafficking. Wild. It's you leave me speechless and that's hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> but flip side to that, you're just like, that's okay, Kelly, but I'm just me. This is I do this because I'm drawn to it and are you led by a faith or what, how, what do you just have great intuition to know what the next thing is? Cause I'm amazed at like, I worked in tech for 25 years. And so you were in the tech sector and I could probably do an entire podcast just about that. But what, what leads you? Do you have an intuition? Do you have a faith? What, what leads that? Well, I'm, I have this, special skill set between the military and law enforcement, right? I've developed this special skill set that I also happen to be very passionate about. And so when I went into corporate America and I wasn't able to exercise that skill set for the greater good, I felt, honestly, I felt like my fire was kind of like diminishing a little bit. I didn't have as much motivation and passion to wake up and do my job every day, I could I could do it and I could do it well, but I wasn't inspired. And so I met this organization through um, business partners in corporate America on that side and just talking about technology and how it helps in the field of investigations and whatnot. And when we kind of went offline talking, I basically got down on my knees and begged to be a part of this organization. And they they actually kind of laughed at me and said, Dallas, with your credentials and your background, we would be honored to have you. So please come and help us. And the organization is all volunteer based. So minus the handful that work for the NGO and the first school games and it's school like your head. I know I say it, it kind of sounds like school, but it's not school, it's school. Um, The first school games I went to a little over a year ago, I think there was about 19, 20 of us in the room. And the majority of us have similar background, um, prior law enforcement, intel, military, or a combination thereof. Have to go through a background, have to um, have a certain skill set that they test you on. And then we fly ourselves to wherever we decide to get together on a quarterly basis. And we're fed leads that showed um, signs of human trafficking. And our first mission is to ID the girl. And then we just kind of go from there and full circle almost a year later, I just went to, we had this last school games in new Orleans and there were 103 of us. So in one year we've been able to, you know, five times grow us and it's it's so amazing to look to I every time I kind of take a step back and look around the room and I'm just like wow all these people are here on their own free will to take their skill set and apply it towards hunting down a bunch of garbage mm-hmm. people who are exploiting vulnerable young women and some young men and yet they're paying for their way to do that too that's incredible. 100%. And that, all volunteer. that's so humbling just to think that there are people out there doing that. And I applaud them. Thank you. Tell them I appreciate them as well. Seriously. I will. I will. Mm-hmm. But wow, you're just, oh. again, speechless. You do that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, Kelly, I'm just me. I'm Dallas. This is what I've done. These are the choices I've made. Like you said, it, you made choices and now 
here you are talking about those choices in the hopes of helping somebody else. And I love it that you, with the military and the police and all of that, you have so much empathy, which is, I think, from an outsider, from a civilian's perspective, that's incredible to me. That, because I, as much as you've done, I think that would harden a lot of people and it hasn't hardened you. It just made you more empathetic and more driven, I think. I would believe you're right. I would be lying if I said I haven't had moments of just wanting to turn my back on the world because I felt like the world turned their back on me. Um, but I also feel like you can't categorize any one type into all. And I say that so vaguely because like examples of oh this one teacher did this horrible thing so all teachers are bad or this one cop did this horrible thing and all cops are bad or this one military per you know so yeah I, agree. I i think sometimes we get caught up in that and by we i mean the general population gets caught sure. up in that and it's usually a personable blow so they're like personally hurt by that situation and they often don't know how to properly express their anger and I learned recently that anger isn't a core feeling and so bear with me here because this is interesting um and the more I thought about it I thought it was very relevant that even that anger is a surface feeling so if you can remove anger or dig deeper past the anger there's a core feeling that actually needs to be addressed. And oftentimes it's sadness. I needed that. I That's everything I needed today because I'm working through some anger issues for choices I've made. Literally, I kid you not. I am working through some stuff that I needed to know. And I've been, I knew that that's what it was, but it's like the way you did said it was really good. I really liked that. Yeah. And I, I use it with my kids because when they express anger, especially like a five-year-old, right? He's just mad and angry. Okay. Well, like what, what's actually going on? Because it's, it's not anger down below. There's, is it sadness? Is it disappointment? Oftentimes with him, it's disappointment. Oh, I didn't get to do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. So I'm angry. No, you're disappointed. And I think helping them to navigate those feelings um, will also hopefully help them communicate them one day, like giving by giving them a name, something that I never had as a kid, something that I'm still working through today. But, you know, for those that are listening, maybe something to take into consideration um, on, you know, what's going on in a little deeper than that anger. I, that's good. And it's again, that's that's the light bulb moment that I always get one out of every podcast. And sometimes it's much more. That's just one of them today. I mean, seriously, there's no courage without vulnerability. It's the second one. And there's probably a bunch of others. I love it. Mm -hmm. You have so many gifts to share with people. And I appreciate that. We haven't even really talked about your book. Tell people where they can find your book and the yeah, title so you, and all that. Yeah, the, the name of the book is called Shattered Reflections. And funny little story on how I came up with that name, because I'm completely transparent. I was so stumped. I was have been calling it the journal. Oh, it's just going to, I'm just, people would ask me, oh, what are you going to call the book? Mm, the journal. That's what it is. It's the journal, right? And uh, I, I wasn't sold on it. And especially people's reaction on how, you know, unthrilled they were of that name kind of led me to, okay, I need to explore other options. And I wrote up the, working with my publisher, I wrote, wrote up the back cover description, still just calling it the journal. And I, as you know, and in technology and I embrace it and let, allow it to help me when it will. And so I took the back cover description and I plugged it into chat GPT. And I said, what are five to 10 amazing book names that would encompass basically everything that I'm about to plug into you and I put in the description and shattered reflections was one of them. So thank you, Chat GPT. <laughs> I love Chat GPT. I swear I love Chat GPT. I really people are like, oh, but eh. no, it gives you 
sometimes it gives you a book title in your case, but for me, it gives me a template for something that I could wordsmith better. Yeah, sometimes outlines. I don't. I use it for outlines. I help. Yep. It helped me um, uh, plan out my marketing plan when I was getting ready to launch the book. Yep. Um, it helped me remember, okay, well, these are things that you should do or take into consideration or ways you should market, demographics you should um, focus on. So yeah, it's a, uh, I say leverage it um, to your best advantage. Absolutely. So I'm a big fan of it. There's some people who are weird about it, but I'm a huge fan of it. So Shattered yeah. Reflections is out on Amazon and it is on Amazon, but I discourage <laughs> okay. I discourage you going to Amazon, but he, and I'll okay, even where, tell you where can we go? I'm open Where's book. the best place but to please, go? Please go to notsoaveragejane.com. All okay. everything about me you can find there. The book is there, the podcast is there. I even have a sidebar podcast that's meant for intelligence analysts. Basically, everything that um all my skills and certain platforms that I used, I've put some stuff in there. Um my biography's there. You can contact me there. The other women's stories are there. So yeah, please go to notsoaveragejane.com. Um, Absolutely. But if you're going to write a review on the book, then you can go to Amazon. And here, here's why, because I want people to know. Amazon will, one, money-wise, they take a huge cut. So you don't, you don't make as much um, right. on an Amazon sale. And they hold your money hostage for 90 days. Hmm. Yeah, they don't pay you out for 90 days. And then the part that um honestly disturbs me the most outside of any of the money thing is I don't know who my customers are. And so if you come to Not So Average Jane and you buy through the thing, um, I can interact with you via email and share promotions with you or um events that I may be at. And you know, I've been invited to come to DC, so I can send that out to my customers. And that have bought the book who might be in the DC area, they can come get their book signed, you know, meet me, yep. have coffee. So things like that. So it's bl it blindly sells. And I am, if you haven't caught on, I'm kind of a personable person. <laughs> what? Who knew? Who I know. Knew? I want I want to know you. I want to <laughs> meet you. I want to thank you. I want to shake your hand. I want to give you a hug if that's okay. So um Amazon takes all that personable out of it which i sure. don't love so not so averagejane.com <laughs> beautiful i absolutely love it i am so happy that you came on today and took the time out of your day especially after editing your own podcast which is i know a lot of work yeah. but i any yeah i could i could talk to you for forever just because you're personable and you're easy to talk to and there's a thousand questions but i know your time is valuable any last minute thoughts about what what's one thing you would tell to somebody who just saw the book and say, one of my favorite things is actually, I know what the answer to this is because one of your TikToks says, you got to read the book. I love that because there's so much inside that book. You, I'm not going to give out the book. I wrote this to help people, but you know that's a lot of work and a lot of vulnerability. Read the book. And I love that. Yeah. Well, th that was stemmed because if you thumb through the book, um, there's redacted sections in the book. And so I had one person reach out to me and say, hey, I think your printer got jacked up because there's a bunch of blacked out spots. And I'm like, no, those are redacted on purpose. If you read the preface of the book, you'll understand why. And yep. others just blindly ask me about the black marks. Um, but I will say authoring a book, writing a book and authoring a book gave me a whole new appreciation for all of the elements that are in books because I am guilty of thumbing past prefaces and forewords of books and getting right to the meat and potatoes. And now I understand that all those pieces are in there for a reason and a cause. They're not just blindly put in there to take up space. So I approach my own books that I read in a different manner now. Um, mm -hmm. And I understand the work ethic that goes into producing that mm -hmm. as well. So, yeah, read yep. the book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right? I um, love that. I, uh, I, I sign my books with, with uh, technically three words, but two, really, that hold substance. And that is learn and grow. 
And I think if you just kind of approach life in that manner, no matter your situation, no matter your circumstance, and you just try to learn and grow from it, you will grow and you will succeed, whatever that means to you. Perfect. Well, I appreciate you being on my podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule, being, you know, this author and all these other, I don't know how many hats you have in your closet, but you got a lot of hats. A lot. Okay? A lot. <laughs> right. And I'm proud of you for it. And I'm grateful for it. Thank you, Kelly. I really appreciate the opportunity. Wonderful.